Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Call to Love experience. Hello, beloved. I am so glad you're here. I am Jasmine Bellamy, your host and founder of Love 101 Ministries. I am a love practitioner, a minister, and a joyful disruptor with an redemptive imagination. The Call to Love experience is an invitation to join us on a spiritual journey as we examine the theology and cultivate the practice of love. This is episode eight, The Alchemy of Love, Transforming Patriarchy. I understand the word patriarchy alone can be triggering and divisive, all the more reason to bring love to it. With this episode, we're shifting our exploration outwards to others, our context, and the world in which we live that is often difficult to love. How do we navigate these challenges lovingly? This is where the rubber meets the road. We are seeking a deeper relationship with God, ourselves, and others. This conversation is imperative to living a life full of love. Thank you for joining us. There are three parts to the call to love experience. Listen, engage, reflect. We'll begin with tonight's centering scripture, utilizing a spiritual practice called Lectio Divina or sacred reading. I love what Ruth Haley Barton says about Lectio Divina. Barton reminds us that the scriptures are indeed alive and active and describes the process as a balance between silence and word, a rhythm between speaking and listening that creates space for two-way conversation, a place to rest in God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are asking God to come into us. Consider this an invitation to rest in and live out the scriptures together, to be held in it, restored, and renewed. Tonight's conversation offers us a unique opportunity to engage and examine the theology of love. We encourage you to join along in the chat with your questions, emojis, or even an amen when something resonates with you. This is a communal practice in our sacred space that we are co-creating together. Finally, we will end with reflection and introspection using a spiritual practice called the prayer of examen to help us discern God's presence in our everyday lives as we cultivate our own love practice. Before I introduce tonight's guest, I wanna send some love to my sis, Reverend Candace Green, who is our co-producer. She holds this space behind the scenes so I can be fully present in it. She is a gift. Thank you, beloved. I am delighted to welcome tonight's guest, Dr. Mimi Haddad, who serves as president and CEO of CBE International and as an adjunct associate professor of historical theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. Dr. Haddad is a leading voice on gender and equality and mutuality. Thank you for being with us tonight, Dr. Haddad. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. So glad to have you. So glad to have you. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be able to talk about um, what CBE is all about and share your scholarship um, with our audience um, so we can really think about this title tonight that we're exploring, um, The Alchemy of Love and Transforming Patriarchy. So thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. So we are going to move um, now into Lectio Divina. And in the tradition of a communal reading of the scriptures, we're, we're actually all going to read um, the text once tonight. So Candace is gonna join us um, and each one of us will take um, the scripture reading um, once at a time. 
And the scripture tonight, um, you know, it's Easter week, setting the context. Um, and one of my favorite scriptures at this time of year is um, the called uh, the road to Emmaus. So I'm really excited um, to be able to sit in this with you um, tonight um, as we give ourselves this opportunity to quiet our minds, to sit um, in the scriptures, see ourselves in it, um, and allow God to speak to us through the spirit um, in this little moment of pause. So I'll begin with the first reading. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all of the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all of the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going to go ahead. But they urged him saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us. That's Luke 24, verses 25 through 32. We'll move into our second reading. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly to stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, hmm. third reading. I'll read from the New King James Version. <clears throat> then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to, with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? God, supreme being who is love and loves us faithfully and unconditionally. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit, breath of God creative force and bond of love. Blessed Trinity, be present with us in this space. 
Give us ears to courageously listen. Open and soften our hearts to receive your truth. Touch our bodies that they might manifest and incarnate your love. I pray over this communal conversation. May it be a blessing to every person who engages in this experience. May it be an invitation to rest so we are renewed and restored in your presence. May we remain in your love so we may flourish. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'd love to start these conversations with what word or phrase stood out to you as you listened to that scripture? I'd love to hear what stood out to you today. Their hearts were stirred. Mm-hmm. They wanted him to stay. Mm-hmm. 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 I love that part. And I love that we, we all had different versions and so it it captured it slightly differently whether a heart felt like it was on fire or a blaze um it's just such a beautiful visual um and i think for me um that's that's definitely the part that i always feel touched by when i hear that story um and also that all of a sudden their eyes were opened all of that time walking along the road, chatting, um, all of a sudden their eyes were opened. Um, I, I, I actually, um, it's so funny how I felt like there was, there was definitely all roads pointing to this being the Lectio. So whether it was, um, a, you know, books I was reading or even service on Sunday, everything was pointing to the road to Emmaus. And I found something interesting that I that that for me felt like a perfect connection into the work that you do at CBE. So hmm. two things. One, um, the person who was interpreting this scripture shared that they felt that um, that it was a man and a woman walking. Hmm. And if we go back in the in the verses before, it actually doesn't say it only identifies one person as a man and that person's wife happened to be at the foot of the cross. And if they were walking seven miles away, it's possible that that person, second person was a woman, but it's not mentioned in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that I learned about um, or that I, I, I actually I learned and responded. I, I, I learned about um, a piece of art called um, La Mulata. And it is the story of, um, I believe, a Moorish woman who is a servant at this table. Hmm. And what they show in this in this ex- artistic expression is that she actually recognized the voice of Jesus hmm. before the disciples at the table. And so I say all of that to say, I felt like that is such a, um, I feel like it's such a wonderful time to be alive as a theologian um, with the scholarship around women. And you are definitely the leading expert, I would say, in that field. (laughs) So tell us about CBE. (laughs) Okay. Jasmine. Well, Jasmine, you're very kind uh, to honor me with an invitation to be here with you and to partner with you in this project. And CBE International has been involved in elevating the dignity, agency, and value of women in the scriptures and in history for over 25 years. We're the largest and longest standing Christian egalitarian organization that addresses and celebrates uh, the women who faithfully responded to God, regardless of gender, ethnicity, social class, social location. 
And so from the very beginning, the founders of CBE, who really quite in their elderly years, they were all rather retired when they sensed the Lord strangely stirring their hearts, just as you read on the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. And they believed that God was calling them to start an organization, an international organization with partnerships around the world, other women and men who saw the same truth in scripture, that ministry and vocation and identity as believers is not a pink and blue scenario or a yellow, black and white scenario. It is a human scenario where mm -hmm. we are called and gifted regardless of our embodiment to service in Christ because all Christians are called to serve. And they were greatly disturbed by the pink and blue uh, spheres of leadership and service in their churches. And so the Lord serendipitously put them in the same room, in the same class at Fuller long ago. And they said, we need this organization. And they came together in New York City to talk about what to do. And each of them grew up in evangelical homes, Christian homes. And they said, we remember as children hearing our parents tell us, it's discovering your gifts and using it for Christ's glory with all the energy you have, all the focus and discipline you have to bring God glory. It's not about your gender. And that was really how CBE was born in 1989. And it's been really sort of un, uh, really producing theology ever since. Ours is the oldest standing academic journal focused on women and equality from a biblical perspective. And we, we do conferences every year. We have a huge website you can read nonstop for weeks. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, no, that's that's amazing, and I love the story. I love the story. You know, I I was sharing um, before we began this this I, I when I was sitting in this material and sitting in your research and thinking about how to bring it um, to our audience, our beloved community tonight. Um, the title, "The Alchemy of Love: Transforming Patriarchy," came to me, and you know, I I was thinking about the fact that we've all been shaped by patriarchy. Um, and some of us believe it is a divine right and uphold it. Others fight against it, while others are unconscious and unaware of the system's oppressive power. Mm -hmm. So in your work of CBE, uh, at CBE, how do you approach this work? Mm -hmm. When you engage your audience? Mm -hmm. Well, CBE works around the world. We have projects on almost every continent. It's an international organization. I'm the daughter of immigrants. I heard three languages in my home growing up. And I, I think that around the world, there is a deep misunderstanding of a scripture's vision for an inclusive, loving community, that God's transforming patriarchy and has really from the Genesis account through God's uh, undaunting love for humanity. Mm -hmm. And so we take, uh, our, our focus has always been on scripture and history and social ethics. Mm -hmm. And our scholars and our really our organization has done some really deep dives. We're about ready into the biblical text. We're about ready to publish our Bible project we've been working on for about seven years wow. uh, to offer a better translation for about 700 passages that have demeaned mm. women based on embodiment. So that project is really exciting. It's been arduous, but also incredibly filled with God's love and light. So we take a whole Bible approach from Genesis to Revelation, and we challenge the metaphysical assumption that embodiment is character. For men, it's a superior character to exercise authority over women who's, who are embodied as inferiors. And uh, some very significant flaws in our English Bible lead people to these, this conclusion, which we arduously challenge. Oh, I, 
love all of that. Um, I know you, um, as I was looking through your work, you have a, a quote of Plato that says, ideas have consequences. And, and you, you know, you just mentioned and or touched on that a bit. Um, you know, I was, when I was preparing for this, um, uh, um, Isabel Wilkerson's work, Cast, um, mm. kept coming to mind. I kept thinking about the subordinate cast and all of these things. Um, but one of the things you also said is distortion leads to injustice and suffering. Can, mm -hmm. you, can you speak a little bit more about what that means, why it's so important to have this Bible project that really deals with a, a, a more right, um, mm -hmm. rightly understood um, translation of the scriptures that have been used to oppress women? Jasmine, yes, I'm honored to answer that question. The, this concept that goes, that you just cited by Plato, ideas have consequences, right? Especially biblical ideas because you're speaking on behalf of God. And even the UN last year published a white paper in which they said, unless we elevate gender equality, uh, none of our humanitarian goals will go forward. That, mm. that the equality of women and men, girls and boys in education, access to healthcare, access to legal protection, access to all the benefits needed for human thriving. They will not go forward until we level the ground, the power and balance between men and women. And they've come to the realization that is impossible to achieve unless you bring what they call faith actors into the conversations. Wow. And the reason is, is through all of their research, they have come to see that when couples have a challenge, when a woman is facing just a series of unfathomable challenges, she will go not to her senator, not to the local elected official, but to her pastor mm. for help. And it's at the church level that human flourishing actually begins because you're speaking on behalf of God. And I think that's why mm. all the demonic forces and all of the totalitarians and tyrants through history had to subjugate the voice of God in order to elevate their own uh, power and dominance. And we certainly, we see that, right? Patriarchy is always demeaning women and women of color. The twin demons of patriarchy are sexism and racism. Together, it's a, it's a force uh, to be, to be uh, uh, upended, but also a, a force we see active in history. Yeah. Yeah, that's so incredibly powerful. So, I mean, we always talk about the spiritual forces at work and to, to take it to this level, you make it so plain um, about how serious that really, really is. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could help us just with a few definitions um, for our audience. Um, you, in, in your research, you talk about a patriarchal view, an egalitarian view, and a complementarian view. Would you mind um, walking us through that? Sure. A patriarchal view is one in which um, women are viewed as inferior at birth by virtue of their embodiment as females. And uh, you, they are uh, excluded and marginalized from places of leadership because obviously, logically, in the logic of patriarchy, you want people who are uh, morally strong, physically strong, intellectually strong. And so that in their logic places men over women and there's, it furthers impunity, dominance, strict gender roles and a lack of empathy. The four horse riders of the Me Too Church Two movement. Yeah. Patriarchy goes unchecked. It has no accountability. Its, it's logic is just in their mind self-evident. 
And there should be no challenge because men are, by virtue of being men, of higher character. Well, that's uh, patently false. History teaches us that. Egalitarians, on the other hand, argue that men and women are created in God's image. And in a world without sin, they are given shared governance over the created world as the basis of human flourishing. They represent God's moral character and love and nurture of the earth and one another. Mm -hmm. Complementarians argue that headship uh, is evident in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. This headship should be benevolent leadership. Again, the blurring between complementarian thinking and patriarchy uh, there, there are some differences, but they're not as stark as one would hope. The biggest challenge to both systems is the egalitarian perspective, as it, mm -hmm. as it curses and, and, and moves from Genesis to Revelation, demonstrating rather clearly that God elevates people to leadership based on their responsiveness to God's voice and moral mm -hmm. teachings, mm -hmm. regardless of gender or ethnicity or class. And we see countless women in both the Old Testament and the New who are women and women at the margins, ethnically and racially, and yet they tend to be the strongest leaders in scripture. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. Um, it, you know, in the work that you're doing, what do you see most often? Do you still see tons of patriarchy, some mutuality, some egalitarian? Like, what what is it that you kind of encounter um, as you're moving around and doing your work? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you for it. I think the more people have a different um, argument or thesis or way of reading the Bible and better Bible translations, and they have access to historic documents. Uh, um, they, George Orwell once said, you know, to, to capture or dominate the present, you have to control the past. Mm -hmm. To control the future, you have to also control the past. So, you know, if there's no evidence of women in leadership, why should you put women forward as leaders? And we did a, a, a quick study of denominations and their seminaries and institutes that do not ordain women. And we looked at what MDiv students were studying and in their curriculum they learn, unless you do extra reading, of course, but they are required to know two women in church history, just two. And one of them is a heretic, <laughs> someone who doesn't really believe Orthodox theology. And so that means that a diminishing of women leaders in history is complicit with a complementarian view, even a patriarchal view. And so we, we spend a lot of time elevating and excavating these great women leaders, both in scripture and in history, Bible history, we spend a lot of time looking at Hebrew and Greek words that have been mistranslated, uh, elevating men's character in some cases and demeaning women in other cases. And we spend a lot of time looking at how this all creates a system or a worldview that it leads to human flourishing or away from human flourishing. So it's a systematic approach to gender and faith. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. Oh, I love that. So when we kicked off the call to love experience back in September, we actually began our conversation with um, Jesus and the woman at the well. Uh, but I would love just if there's, you know, you, I mean, that is staggering. Only need to know two women to finish a degree. I mean, that's staggering. I, I would just love to give you some space if there's, there's, one particular woman that you want to amplify or whose story you want to tell. I, I actually just delivered a sermon um, during Women's History Month on um, Tamar, David's daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I am every moment trying to elevate women <laughs> so people know our stories. But I would love to hear um, if there's one um, that particularly tugs at your heart that you'd love to share tonight. 
Yeah, there's so many. Uh, well, I guess, you know, coming from an Arab background, I'm I'm interested in the the voices of women outside the tribes of Israel who mm -hmm. had such a deep influence on the people of God. And there's there's a number of them. Uh, I I pulled you know, Shifra and Pua, the Egyptian mm -hmm. mid midwives mm -hmm. who rescued the Hebrew babies. Mm -hmm. There's Yahel Jael from mm -hmm. Judges 5, who comes, she's part of this nomadic Canaanite tribe. And she, because she's a nomad and travels around in tents, she's very skillful with pegs and hammers. And she ended the life of a, uh, a general who is at war with Israel. She's mm -hmm. honored throughout scripture uh, and considered really a strategic thinker. Mm -hmm. We have Ruth and Esther, right? Ruth mm -hmm. was a Moabite, and she was responsible for rescuing uh, Ruth uh, and Esther. She followed the pattern of Esther in rest, you know, preventing a genocide. She rescued uh, her mother, Naomi, and found her kinsman redeemer, mm -hmm. Boaz, mm -hmm. at and sort of rescued this family that was destitute and on the margins. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, so we see over and again, these identity markers of God's people. They're often these outsiders and outliers who God welcomes as covenant people and often who have more faith and, and take greater initiative than those who are born into the right family and mm. eat the eat the right foods and have the right last names and skin color. And yet these, these others who don't have such a strong presence among the people of God. And I think supremely in the New Testament, right, that Jesus meets this Samaritan woman. I just, mm -hmm. I just, the story is, he goes out of his way to wait for her in the heat of the day where only those who are most shamed and demeaned come and get water. She's suffering and he wants to share with him the first person to learn that he is the I am, yes. the savior, the I am. Mm -hmm. her, her heart must have been strangely, powerfully warm. She drops her jar and rushes to the city and becomes the first great evangelist. And I think the disciples come into this scene and they're just shocked and horrified that Jesus is speaking to this woman with many husbands. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately after that, he, he comes uh, like the Samaritan woman. He, he approaches the Syrophoenician woman who, who is, Un, she crashes a party to meet Jesus. And she, this is, you know, there's so much texture in these stories where the Jews viewed her people as dogs, as undeserving of God's gifts. They were unclean. And yet here she is approaching this Jewish rabbi and the disciples are trying to shoo her away. Get her out of here. She's, she doesn't, she's not reading the crowd, you know, get her out of there. <laughs> And, but she's persistent and she begs Jesus to deliver her demon-possessed daughter. And Jesus, you know, Jesus says something to her that some of us would view as really kind of cruel. You know, are, are we supposed to give the food that's meant for the children of Israel to these dogs? Mm -hmm. And yet she too defies patriarchy's logic. Yeah. She will not be excluded. She says, even the dogs are satisfied from the crumbs under the table. Mm -hmm. And I just want all of the women in this world to take that kind of initiative, to have that kind of chutzpah, right? <laughs> that I get to have crumbs too, because Jesus is the bread of heaven for all of us. His body is food. His blood is drink for all of us. Amen. Amen. And Amen. Now, I mean, you could keep preaching. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is so incredibly powerful. Um, and all I keep thinking as you walk through, particularly the experience of Jesus, I keep thinking love is countercultural. 
Jesus is countercultural. And so I would love if for a moment you you could you kind of started to speak to it a little bit, but that how Jesus brought something different into the culture, particularly connected to the treatment of women. Oh, when yeah. you set the stage of what the culture looked like mm -hmm. that he entered so that we have a better understanding that 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 his love is countercultural. Right. Well, he's the great iconoclast, right? He's constantly crashing assumptions that are opposed to human flourishing. And so Jesus allows women to sit at his feet to study his teachings. He prepares them as disciples, martyrs, teachers, apostles. Uh, Mary Magdalene, who's the first to meet him. At, right, right. And I, I often think, look, we're Easter people. My father had a big poster over his desk that said, we are Easter people and hallelujah is our song. Mm. And sometimes when I think that, I just tear up because yeah. I think if we could only see the world through an Easter lens. Yes. Yeah. You know, that there was this woman, he came to her, he, he called her by name, and then he sent her to tell the disciples, I have risen, tell them, and they didn't believe her. And I thought, she's the apostle to the apostles. And if, I mean, really, that's all you have to say, that you read all of the passages in Bible that you think silence and subordinate women through the Easter story. That's where you start with the Easter story. Yeah. I, well, it's so interesting because I, um, I just feel, or I feel so strongly the parallel between the woman at the well and Mary Magdalene, mm -hmm. because in both of those scriptures, it talks about the fact that they were the first to receive a particular word and then go tell it, both of them. And when they both went, everybody didn't believe them mm -hmm. and they had to come and see it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is such a clear parallel in both of those stories. And so I, I almost see the woman at the well is Mary Magdalene's predecessor in some degree. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, one is the first to learn that Jesus is the Messiah and the second, um, it's, like, mm -hmm. it's like the second one being the one who mm -hmm. knew of the resurrected Lord. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it, but both being women, right. both oh, being so women, good. both being women mm. on the margins, I mean, it is, it, it, there is, oh, I mean, I literally have goosebumps right now thinking about that, right? That is countercultural. Oh, completely. Especially because women were not considered reliable witnesses. Right. How can you, how can you trust them? They're not constant. They're, they're, in, they're, they're emotional. They're liars. They're given to lust. Are, these are the things that Jesus was proving false and yeah. proving. Yeah, that's those are great bookends. That's yeah. that's a that's a book right there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I I mean it is I, I I'm often amazed how how people can proof text mm -hmm. otherwise. Mm -hmm. You know how how to create a story to support patriarchy. When Jesus's life speaks so counter to it, um, and so I, I, I'm all, I'm really often amazed by that, um, you know. And I would say that the other thing I would just kind of add into that, I, I, and I, and I'm, I'd love for you to speak to it. I know when I often use the word patriarchy, mm -hmm. that it it automatically feels like it's a fight, mm -hmm. or if I use my voice to amplify women, then I'm anti-men. Or it, it's, it, I just find that really interesting, um, mm -hmm. whether it's in the culture, whether it's in the church. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm just curious, what, what do you think about that? Or what's, what has been your experience, perhaps, as you move in, in different spaces and how, how you're received? Are you are people challenging you because they just think you're going to be anti-men because mm -hmm. 
you amplify the equality of women? Yeah, I think that's a great observation that there is a, um, a sense that to be, uh, uh, to elevate the status and dignity of women, you're somehow diminishing the status and dignity of men. And actually it's the other way around. Men are not dignified by patriarchy. Men do not flourish under patriarchy. Nobody flourishes. It's a bad theology. The fruit is bad. It needs to be dismantled. We are not asking for power over men. We are asking for the scriptures that elevate us as shared sharing governance, sharing ministry, sharing service. This is how the, the world with a world without sin in Genesis 1 and 2 was initially created. And it was humans who distorted uh, that beauty, both men and women together. And yeah. so, you, you know, you're not by adding women into the governance equation, all of the research suggests that diverse teams, and you know this, I know, are far more productive. They're far more ethical. And if the church needs anything right now, it needs diverse teams. When you add three women to an all-male leadership team, immediately they're more competitive. Um, they have a competitive edge. They're far more ethical. Women do not take the same high risks that men do. So women bring a sobriety to the risk taking, which actually makes them, the teams more productive. And so all of the research is clear, if you, especially if you go and re, do some reading on the Peterson Institute, that it's actually to your advantage to bring women into leadership. I'm writing down the Peterson Institute. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, you know, what you make really clear is that it's a both and, mm -hmm. and it's not power over, it's power with. Right. Um, and I, and I, I thank you so much for saying that. And, and all I kept thinking too, um, you know, the, the oppressor is dehumanized as is the oppressed. Right, right. And, um, and, and I think the other thing that I would just love to kind of also say out loud in this space, that because we've all been enculturated in it, we also sometimes don't even see it when it's right in front of our faces. And, you know, mm -hmm. Cole Arthur Riley um, in her book um, recently said, the bondage we become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. And it's that idea of being oppressed and not even being aware that we're oppressed is the piece that kind of concerns me often. Um, and so I always believe that these are invitations um, for, for all of us to become more human. You know, I, I know you mentioned um, Galatians 3.28 and that is um, a, a text that is, is central to um, your work at CBE. Would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, Galatians 3, 28 um, is, is uh, you know, there needs to be a lot of additional work on this passage. It, mm. I'll, I'll read it to you. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you were all baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Jesus. There is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Scho scholars have argued that Galatians 3.28, which is written by the Apostle Paul, is the heartbeat of his theology. It summarizes his larger theological work uh, from in Romans, for example, and everything he did goes out from Galatians 3.28 and comes back again. So the women co-workers that he built churches out, um, outside Palestine during his missionary activities, you know, he called them his co-workers. He lived Galatians 3.28 and he died Galatians 3.28. It was the cornerstone of his work. In fact, archaeologists have now found baptismal fonts in the ancient world where Galatians 3.28 is carved on them. 
And the concept of the early church, I believe we have this, we have a vision of this where people of any ethnic group, men and women alike, you see, because baptism replaces circumcision as the mm -hmm. outer expression of inclusion in the Jesus tribe. Mm -hmm. So you go into your baptismal waters and these fonts were shaped like a womb, right? Mm -hmm. Because remember Jesus, Nicodemus says to Jesus, hey, how can I be born again? Can mm -hmm. I climb, climb back in my mother's womb? You go into the waters of your baptism into the womb you are a sinner by birth and you come out right renewed and clothed in christ and as you are clothed in christ your other identities whatever they may be male female right jew greek slave free those things is are not what we mark you as a member of the community of belonging. You are marked by the fact that you've been baptized and clothed with Christ. And this Paul argues strenuously in his letter to Onesimus, mm -hmm. or to, to Philemon, that Onesimus, mm -hmm. right, had, he's a brother. He yes. is first and foremost a brother, and he's useful to me. Yeah. And, and the implication is set him free. And yeah. he, do, he does, so Philemon sets him free and he becomes Bishop of Ephesus, which is phenomenal because Ephesus, right, was the center where they worship Artemis. Mm -hmm. it, would, it was where Priscilla and Aquila planted this church where Priscilla in the lead of her husband teaches Apollos in their house church, the way mm -hmm. of the Lord more clearly. Mm -hmm. And also where one Timothy two comes from, which has forever been confusing yes. to, to the church. So there's, there's so much to unpack, but the idea of Galatians 3.28 is a, it's a passage about belonging. It's a passage about identity. Yeah. We are not, we will never be demeaned by our embodiment because we are clothed in the eternal identity of Christ. We are Christ, little Christians. We're Christians. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, that's powerful. That's that's so powerful. And I love how you really unpack that for us. And because I, I will name that um, for many, Paul is a controversial character, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's, there is just so much beyond the surface and under the covers. Um, actually, First um, Timothy, that was actually one of my first theological papers um, in seminary as well. Um, but it is, but, but you also talk to co-laborers, honoring mothers and grandmothers. And I mean, it is evident um, that women were, um, were centered and valued um, for their ability to be followers and what equally to men, even despite um, how other scriptures have been handled. Um, so I'm excited for your um, Bible project so we can set the record straight, uh, <laughs> which is super, super exciting. Um, I do, you know, before we start coming to a close, um, I do want to just name in this space, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the idea of feminism um, that we often hear about as well, um, but really amp um, amplifying the voices of womanists um, like Dolores Williams um, and Katie Cannon. Um, but when I think of, you know, I, I call Bell Hooks my patron saint. <laughs> and I love, um, when I came across this quote of hers, um, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks um, because as, as I was forming, I didn't necessarily have language for it. Um, but she says, women who learn to love represent the greatest threat to the patriarchal status quo. Mm. And mm -hmm. I mean, literally when I tell you, I threw the book on the floor <laughs> when I first heard that, when I first encountered that, that quote, because as a love practitioner, that is a, that is exactly who I am. And mm -hmm. at the same time, because I practice love and because I see 
the, all of us as image bearers, I naturally became the greatest threat to the mm -hmm. patriarchal status quo. And, and I believe that's what you've been really sharing with us um, as you talk about um, the work, the wonderful work and scholarship of CBE. Um, yeah. Well, let me, let me share, you know, I don't know if you, you probably are a big fan of Cornell West too. I am. Uh, <laughs> there, And uh, I don't know if you've, you've been, you've probably read the work of um, Dr. Robito. Albert Jordi Rabito, who wrote the famous books on slave religion. And there's a phenomenal, maybe it's two hours long YouTube with Dr. Uh, Rabito before he passed away, where he's literally just going through all of the slave narratives. And this is to your point, Jasmine, that he comes, you know, and the, the these slaves who had encountered slave religion with the Holy Spirit just fell on these slave communities and they rise up. And Dr. Rabateau says it was their love and their humanity Amen. that was, that just literally, literally pressed back the oppression and the dominance Amen. that they encountered. And even the slave owners, when they encountered him years later after emancipation and, and it was once again, they were, they were literally tazzed, you know, like frozen, tazzed mm. by their humanity, that they had become so rich in Christ, so full of love, so large of spirit that that it, it was terrifying mm. to those who wished to dominate them. And I think mm. you're uh, I think this is an important because you can become you know, you can become obviously, um, you can choose another path. Yes. And yes. I, th I thought about that recently when I myself encountered a, a couple of very dehumanizing experiences. When yeah. you, and I thought to myself, why didn't I, you know, say, and I kept thinking, no, it's what Dr. Rabito said. It is better to confront someone with your humanity. Amen. 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 Oh, I agree. And I'm going to go find that two hour YouTube. Thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. Well, I, before we go to our, our, our last stage um, in our uh, prayer of examen, I do want to shout out uh, CBE's international conference that is taking place July 20th through 23rd in Brazil. Um, it's all about women in scripture and setting the record straight. Um, I'm so excited that you're offering that. Um, I have it on my my travel plan, so I hope to be there with you. Um, I'm just super excited to just be inspired um, by, by the scholarship, sure. the conversation, um, because to your point, this it can become heavy. It can become tiring you could feel exhausted. Um, but what I have found for me, um, particularly keeping love as the center, um, it has allowed me to just to be filled to overflowing to keep going. And so um, I, I, I definitely look for spaces um, for more inspiration um, to continue to do the work of God ahead. So thank Thanks. you so much for being with us My tonight. Pleasure. It was thank you. Um, so rich, thank so you. informative, um, and I can't mm -hmm. wait to um, share your Bible project with our community when it's published. Thank, so thank you. you. So before you know, I'll ask you to to join us at the end in prayer. But I'm just going to walk us through our prayer of examen. We have talked about a lot. We've we started out thinking about. Uh, this the road to Emmaus and our hearts being ablaze because of the presence of Jesus. And the prayer of examine um, is really about the awareness of God's presence in our everyday lives. It's about spiritual maturity through discernment and accountability. According to Ruth Haley Barton, discernment is a mark of spiritual maturity habit and increasing capacity to recognize and respond to the presence of Christ in our ordinary moments 
and also the larger decisions in our lives. So this is a time for us as we close that we, we do regularly um, when we gather each month to be able to reflect. Maybe it's reflecting on today. Maybe it's reflecting since the last time we gathered together. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to think about our day, let it come into view. And as we think about that day, what are the things that we felt most grateful for? I know for me today, um, capturing a beautiful sunrise um, to be able to share the warmth of the sun in springtime in the Northeast um, and the ability to walk to work um, with beautiful music in my ears. Those are safe travels on a flight. All of those things are the things that I am grateful for today. Mm-hmm. As we move thinking, we, we, we can ask, what are the things, what is the petition? What might God um, want to bring to our attention today? Mm-hmm. And we can ask God to open the eyes of our hearts um, so we may see. And then I love the, this next movement of discernment. Discernment is so much more um, than, than a judgment. It is about us being able to look and notice, to sense God's presence in what is happening in our day. And as we discern, we may have visceral experiences in our body of constellation and desolation, letting us know where do we feel like we are being pulled toward God's love, those moments of consolation. And then maybe there were things that happened throughout the day where we felt furthest away from God. That noticing, that gentle noticing allows us to be able to become more aware of the presence of God walking with us in our ordinary lives. And as we reflect on all of those things and and different experience come to our minds there may be an opportunity or an invitation for forgiveness, not to just receive it, but to also give it. Mm. There may be an invitation for mercy and grace. There may be something that we have the opportunity to let go. So based on what you sensed, What might God be up to in your context? How might you participate in that? How might you cultivate your love practice? Beloved, love is a practice. What we practice, we become. Mm -hmm. And the beauty in the examen is that there is an open invitation for us to begin again. So with that said, Mimi, will you close us in prayer? Yes, thank you, I'd love to. Holy Christ, we stand as people who gaze into an empty tomb, Mm. who celebrate not only your teachings and your love and inclusion of people at the margins, your faithfulness to bear sin, the crushing weight of our own failures and our rebellion against a good and loving God, but you took that on yourself and you set us free. And I I thank you, Lord, for every person on this call, for those who will hear it later, for Jasmine, Candice as they lead this project and for those who will come after and speak into this call to love that we are called 
to exhibit the humanity and the dignity that you intended for all of your people. And I ask, Lord, that we may be enlightened and enlivened by the teachings of your word, by the engagement we have with one another, the church. And as we respond sensitively to the Holy Spirit, give us, Lord, the faith and the courage to follow you each day. Protect us from the evil one and give us joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Be well, beloved. We'll see you next time.